Okay, pretend you're at a football game and really clap, okay? Okay. We want to welcome you today. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online. We're glad that you're here as well. Now, we've been talking about stewardship this month. We talked about it last week, today, and next week, three messages. And so the, the previous series was called what? The pre-last month, what did we talk about? Does anybody remember? The Bible, what was the name of it? Bestseller, because it is, right? Yeah. And people are still talking to me about that series. They really like that series. And I hope that you'll talk about this series, too, in a favorable way, okay? <laughs> that would be good, because I'm going to talk about stewardship today, and we're going to learn some things, and it's a blessing. So here's the first question I want to ask you. You ready? How many of you have stuff? Anybody got stuff at your house? You got stuff? You got too much stuff, don't you? We just moved from one house to another. We got stuff in the garage. We got stuff in storage units. Who invented the storage unit? I want to talk to them about this. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. We have so much stuff that we had to get two storage units. We got one of them full, and now we've got all this stuff in our garage we've got to take to the other one. We've got to get rid of some stuff. The problem is my wife inherited stuff, and it's stuff that was in her family, so it has sentimental value. Everybody say sentimental value. That's right. And so, you know, she inherited her mother and dad's, but then they had inherited from all kinds of other relatives, and law was kind of the end of the line. Because like our kids don't want that stuff. They don't care. Antiques, they just look at antiques and they say, when are you going to buy some decent furniture? That's what they've said to us. They said, when we moved to this house, they said, are you going to buy some new decent furniture? No, we don't have any money. We spent it all on you when you were growing up. What makes you think we've got money for furniture and, and we've got these antiques and so they don't want them, right? The silver all that silver, all those dishes and the, and the stuff in the dining room, they don't want any of that stuff. They don't care. Any, you know, and Laura inherited stuff. We, you know what I inherited in my family? Paper plates. That's what we got. That's right there. That's all we got. Now, they were the good kind, Chinette, okay? They weren't just the cheapy ones that are just flimsy. These are the kind that really hold up when you get something to eat, okay? What do you like? Do you like, do you get excited when there are sales? Do you just get excited? Do you get a tingle? Oh, come on, fess up. You're looking at me like, no, not, never. I never buy anything. It's a, my wife buys stuff online now, she, and it comes to my office. She doesn't even try to hide it from me. <laughs> she has it all brought in right here, and Sandy Willard, she's, he's had to take an extra job just bringing stuff to my office. Sometimes I have to get him to help me take it out to the truck. It's not a lot, it, but it's bulky. You know what I'm saying? It's light, but it's bulky. And so she's ordering stuff, and she's all the time telling me, just look how much money I saved you. I can't afford for her to save me any more money. Let me just tell you, okay? So, you know, and two-day shipping. Who, who came up with two-day shipping online? Now it's so much easier, right? Now what happens is you go online and, and you say, well, oh, that looks good. I think I'll get that. And so you just kind of put it in your cart. It's kind of like window shopping. I'm just going to think it over. Oops, my finger hit the purchase button. Boom. Must have been God's will for me to have it. There it goes right there. I've got it now, right? So from Genesis to Revelation, God talks about this topic of money and possessions. In fact, he talks about it over 2,000 times. Do you think he's obsessed with it? Well, let me put it to you this way. Do you remember when your first child was born? You know, that gifted, good-looking child that was ahead above everybody else. It was a genius and smart and, and intelligent and beautiful. And every other child paled 
in comparison to your child, right? Isn't that right? And then something happened around 18 months, and all of a sudden you began to realize that your child was a wretched sinner. That's what you discovered. <laughs> Right there. That's right. Because your child grabbed a toy that another child was grabbing at the same time, and a four-letter word came out of their mouth. Mine, mine, mine. That's what they said. And that's a glimpse of sin. It's the sin of selfishness. And God speaks about it over 2,000 times because God knows that the number one thing that competes for our hearts is money and stuff. And he wants to be number one. He wants our heart to be filled with him, right? Last week, we talked about the scarcity cycle. Remember that? We said, God supplies, and then what happens? We spend. We get it. We consume it. We spend it. And then we get nervous. We start thinking we don't have enough then because we have spent it. So now we're looking for more. We're lacking because we've been consuming. And what happens is fear and anxiety come along, and now we're nervous about it. So how do we treat this problem? This is the most ironic thing in the world. We medicate the problem by consuming more. <laughs> I don't have enough, so I'm just going to make myself feel better, and I'm going to go out and spend more, okay? Have you ever done that? I'm looking at you. You've got to be honest. Sometimes people, and the cycle goes on. Now, the, the scarcity cycle starts in the mind, not in the wallet. Solomon says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. For as he thinks in his heart. See, anything you do in life, whatever it is, it's got to start right here between the ears and the gray matter. You've got to think about it before you're going to end up doing it, right? And so he says, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And every choice you make can all point back to the way you think about the world. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So I want to challenge you today, and I want you to ask God this question. God, am I thinking the right way? Am I thinking the right way? Has the world taken over in my mind and I've just fallen in with society? Or am I really thinking your way? Am I thinking from a biblical perspective? Am I thinking the way you want me to think? Today we're going to look at one of the greatest miracles Jesus ever performed in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus fed 5,000. Now Jesus didn't feed 5,000. Do you know how many he fed? Huh? He fed more. Because when they counted 5,000 people, they just counted the adult men, okay? They didn't count the women and children. So he probably fed about 15 to 20,000 people. This is a bona fide miracle here. This is something that just can't happen every day. And he took care of that. And in Mark, it says this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. I love that. Let's stop right there just a minute. Leave that up. I love that he had compassion. He, Jesus just looks at you and me, and what does he see? He sees beyond the physical appearance. He sees our heart and soul. He sees inside of us, and he sees our need. Jesus sees our need, and he has compassion on them. And why did he have compassion on them? He said, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This guy, he's just got a heart. He says, you know, just sit down. I want to teach you some things. I want to help you. I'm, I'm going to try to show you some things that will be a blessing in your life. So he had compassion. They were sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many 
things. What a blessing that is that he did that. By this time, it was late in the day, it says. And so his disciples came to him and, and said, this is a remote place and it's already very late, they're saying. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I read this stuff, I get a picture in my mind. So here's what I want you to picture. What, what happened with the details behind the scene? I always want to know that, right? Can't you imagine Jesus is up there preaching? It's getting late. The sun's about to set. And so Peter shows up because he doesn't know any better. He just goes for it. He goes out there. They probably sent him. And he goes up to Jesus and he says, this is a great sermon you've been preaching, man. I want you to know. And that 18th point you just made was really, it'll change your life. That's great. But hey, <laughs> listen, I'm just mentioning this. The sun is about to go down. And I could stay here all night, but Peter, I mean, Philip and Andrew are hungry. They've already told me. And so do you think maybe we ought to just let folks go where they can go find something to eat on their own? Because, you know, I don't know how we can take care of them, okay? And so that's kind of maybe in my mind at least what happened. And the disciples were focused on how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to feed them something to eat? And he answered them, and this is what he said. I love this. He said, you give them something to eat. <laughs> wow. It's just like staff meeting when somebody brings up a great idea and I just point at them and say, okay, you do it. Right? Isn't that right? Amen. amen. See? See, I knew I'd get an amen from Bill right there. And today, because you love that phrase, just wait till tomorrow. I'll be ready for you. But, but that's what he said. He said, you feed them. And they're like, well, how can we do that? You know, the disciples are preoccupied. How, how can we possibly do that? And they, they said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages for us to do that. Are we to go and spend that much on bread to give them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. So they went out and they found a little boy and he had five loaves of barley and he had a couple of fish. And when they found out, they said, well, we got five pieces of bread, five loaves of bread and two fish, okay? And the disciples viewed this whole process through a mindset of scarcity. And they said, look at the crowd. Look at the food we got. We ain't got enough. We got to have more, right? Isn't that what they said? When I was first serving the new church in Navarre, the people came to me, and they, de they developed it. I, didn't, I wasn't smart enough to do this. We didn't have a welcome center. We didn't have a place to put. We had one little building. And they said, we're going to go out on the patio, and we're going to have a welcome center out there. In fact, we've got food. Just invite people. Now, what I thought they said was invite everybody to the welcome center. What they were saying is invite the first-time guest to the Welcome Center, but I didn't catch that part because I'm a big picture guy. You know what I'm saying? And so what happened was I just invited everybody, and they all panicked, and they said, hurry, run to Winn-Dixie. we got to buy more stuff. The preacher's a moron. He invited everybody. <laughs> and so they did, and they, but that's how the Welcome Center got started. And one guy said, hey, we need a little awning out here. I'll pay for it. Is it okay? Can we put it up? And I said, sure. And that's how we got a Welcome Center. It was on the patio. The lay people came up with it. And so you're always hoping, do I have enough? Is that going to make enough now? The disciples viewed it that way. Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? Do you ever get to the end of your month and don't have enough money? You ever go through those seasons where things are really tight and you're really struggling? You can't get ahead. You're trying to get ahead financially, and then something expensive breaks, right? Or you have to go to the dentist. 
or you get this medical bill that comes in out of the blue. And so you say, you know, it's just ridiculous how much I have and how much I need right now, and they don't match up. In other words, the hot dogs don't match the buns, okay? You know how that goes. Well, we all find ourselves in a place like that sometimes, and, and what we're trying to figure out is if we're not careful, we, we can work ourselves into a habit of looking at circumstances and getting this mindset that says, well, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. And if we're not careful, we're just going to always look at life that way. We're just always going to think, well, I'd like to do that, but I don't have enough. And so we just automatically, that's our default. And there's never going to be enough, but that's just not true. Jesus viewed this from a completely different lens. He views it from a place of abundance. He says, oh, you got plenty. In fact, you got more than enough. You'd be amazed at how much you've got. You just don't realize it. Fast forward to the end of the story, and what did Jesus show them? After they distributed all the food, he said, now go pick up what's left over. Now, this is a bona fide miracle here. He wanted to make sure they knew this was a miracle, right? And how many? They had 12 baskets full left that they received. And why 12? Because every disciple was going to take home a goodie bag, right? Is that the way it worked? You know, I think that each one of them got one so that they could go share with the people around them so that they could minister to them as well. But there was plenty left. It was more than you could possibly imagine. The disciples said it's not enough. Jesus says there's more than enough. Now, scarcity asked the question, what can I afford? What can I afford? But abundance asked the question, well, what do I have? You have to look at what you have before you can answer the second question, what can I afford? Because there's infinitely more where that came from. I told you about my dad. He would go to his father. He would say, give me a nickel. His dad would hold out all the change. He would take the nickel because he said, I knew there was more where that came from. That's the way it is with God. There's more where that came from. He's got an endless supply, doesn't he? And so he can provide, can't he? Now, here's what I want us to catch in this, and this is a beautiful thing. No matter what, we've always got something we can give. No matter what, we've always got something. Tim Knox is a pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And there was a member of the church he served named Kelly. And Kelly was a single mom who had two children, right? And Kelly's trying to raise these kids, and she's trying to make it. And Kelly has not slept in a bed for four years because she has a bed, but her kids sleep in the bed. And Kelly sleeps on the couch. So this couple in her church find out about her situation. And they start thinking to themselves, well, what do we have? We got a bed. We got a guest bed, and people don't ever use it. Nobody ever stays here. Hey, listen, let's take this bed, and let's give it to Kelly. She needs it. And so they loaded up the truck, and they took the bed to Kelly's house. Not only that, but they also said, we've got something else we can give. We got a table and six chairs. We're going to take a table and six chairs and a bed to Kelly's house. Now, you're Kelly. And you're just trying to make it and squeak by, and all of a sudden somebody rings your doorbell from church and says, hey, <laughs> you need a bed. And Kelly's just floored. She's just amazed. And so she says, oh, thank you so much. And they take the bed inside, and they put it up for her. And, put it, and then they say, well, hey, we got something else for you. we got a table and six chairs. And, and Kelly, now she's overwhelmed. And for the first time in four years, Kelly sleeps in a bed that night. And for the first time ever, Kelly and her kids gather around the table and they have a meal together because this couple just said, what do we have and what can we give? So what does Kelly do? She just, she's elated. I mean, she can barely sleep. The next morning, she's so excited. She calls this couple. She says, listen, I just want to thank you. You have blessed my life. I am so grateful for what you did for me. 
In fact, she said, I would like to get to a place in my life someday when I would be able to help someone else like you helped me. And someday, I promise you, I'm going to do something for somebody else. But this couple had this great idea. This couple said, Kelly, today's the day. She said, what do you mean? They said, you've got something in your house, Kelly, something that somebody else needs. You don't even know what it is. It feels like you're broke and you are, but you've got something. And when they said that, immediately Kelly thought back, and she said, you know what? I got a neighbor two doors down who just had a baby, and she needs a rocking chair, and I have a rocking chair. And Kelly got so excited, and she took that rocking chair to the neighbor, and she said, hey, you got a new baby. I brought you a rocking chair so you can rock that baby. Now, Kelly was excited when she got the stuff, but she was more excited when she gave something away. No matter what you and I think we don't have, we're blessed more than we realize, and we can do so much more than we think we can. See, when we think we have a little, God takes it and multiplies it, and it becomes a lot. Now, I need you to hear me on something. If you have the mindset today that when my bank account gets bigger, then I'm going to be generous. Then I'm going to be open-handed. Then I'm going to give. You're lying to yourself. Amen. I heard it right there. (laughs) Because when you get more, instead of holding it with a loose hand, you hold on to it more. You talk to anybody who's got a lot, they're always worried about keeping it. They're always trying to take care of it. They're always, is the, is the security system on? Did we lock up? Did you put that in the safe? Have we, did we take care of everything? You know, it's something they're constantly concerned about because it becomes important. Listen, when you and I get closer to Jesus, he completely redefines what can be done with a little. So I want to do an experiment today. That's right, amen. We're going to do an experiment today. I want you to learn something. Many of you are not familiar with this. This is cash. <laughs> this, this is money. This is a dollar bill. Okay, everybody get out a dollar bill, and you're going, I have not carried cash with me since I was three, okay? But if you've got cash, everybody needs to do this to participate because it's going to make a difference. So I want everybody to get a dollar bill out. Now, look, if you don't have a dollar bill, I want you to look at somebody who's sitting next to you who looks wealthier than you are, okay? And I want you to reach out your hand and say, would you give me a dollar? This will be an icebreaker. You'll make a new friend, okay? So I want you to get a dollar. If you don't have a dollar, we did this in the last service, and people had to find a dollar bill. How many of you? Hold your dollar bill up if you got it. Everybody got one? Have you got one? Now look, are you listening to me? If you don't have a dollar bill, this won't work. You've got to borrow a dollar bill from somebody else. You can pay them back next week. In fact, I took a dollar to the 830 service, and I, and I gave it away. And so then I forgot to get another dollar from my office, and I came and I borrowed this dollar from Mark, the security guy, okay? <laughs> I, I said, stick them up. I just couldn't. Have, I couldn't. I just had to. I couldn't help myself. Okay, and he gave me this dollar, and I said, now, Mark, I'm going to tell this so that I make sure I pay you back. And he's going to be here all morning, so I've got some more $1 bills in there. Everybody got a dollar? Everybody's got to do this. to get. You think I'm kidding. 
If you don't have it, I want you to either get one or after the service, I want you to do this online. I want you to give one extra dollar over what you would normally give. Just one. How much is this? Is this a little or a lot? Is this a little? You're just like the choir. I asked them, is this a little? You know what they said? Well, it just depends. It's a little if you give it to me. It's a lot if you ask me to give it away. It's funny how the perspective works that way, isn't it? Yeah, some of y'all are laughing because that's what you were thinking. I know. I, I know you, okay? So I won't, it won't work if you don't all do it. So everybody has to give one extra dollar from whatever you're going to give. Now, when we do the offering later, I want you to put this dollar in the offering. And I'm going to put Mark's dollar in there, and then I'm going to get him another one after this service, okay? And then that's what I want you to do. Now, what could you buy with this one dollar? Maybe, maybe I could buy a diet caffeine-free Dr. Pepper because that's what I like. Just, just throwing that out there with Christmas coming. Just wanted you to know what I like, right? You, maybe you could get a pack of mints with this, and some of you need to. Okay, yeah, right? And you know who you are, right? Okay, so that's the experiment. It'll only work if everybody participates. And what I want you to do is I want you to give that extra dollar today in the offering because God wants to redefine what can happen with something really small that can turn into something really big. Next week, we'll tell you how much we increased in our offering just because you gave that one extra dollar. Now, if you live with a mindset of fear and scarcity, you're never going to have enough, and that's not God's purpose for you. Jesus said in John 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Everything about the nature of God says there is more than enough. It's extravagant. It's abundant. It's his nature, and therefore, as his children, we have to begin to look at things the way he looks at them. So how do we have a life of abundance? Two ways. First, we see that God multiplies what is blessed. God multiplies what is best. In Mark, what happens? They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. You see, he blessed it, right? And God uses what's blessed, right? The blessing of God over anything in our lives is a powerful thing. How does that relate to our finances? When you and I return the tithe to God, it releases God's blessing in every other area of our lives. When we give the tithe, it releases God's blessing. Returning what is not ours to the, the one it belongs to, God, then the tithe, which is holy and set apart, releases a blessing in every other area of your life. In Malachi, Malachi the prophet is talking. He's speaking to the people as the voice of God. And what does he say? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that I'm, there may be food in my house. And people say, the tithe is 10% of my income, right? Is the tithe 10% of your income? I want you to look at the person next to you and say, not exactly. Now you're really confused, aren't you? Is the tithe 10% of your income? Not exactly. Now I've got your attention, don't I? That's right. It's not the tithe is just 10% of our income. It's the first 10% of our income that is the tithe. Amen? Amen? That's right. It's the first because God has to be first. We learned that in Bible study. We talked about that a few years ago in a stewardship series 
Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the what? The floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I want you to look at that phrase, floodgates of heaven. I want you to focus on that for just a minute. There are only three times that that phrase, floodgates of heaven, are mentioned in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew phrase, and it's only three times. It's in Malachi, the one we're using here. It's in 2 Kings, but the first time it was used was in Genesis with the flood. The reason Noah had to build an ark was because a flood was coming, right? And it would have to save humanity. Now, the first time that phrase was used in Hebrews, the floodgates of heaven, what do we know about the flood? Scripture says there was not one part of the earth that was left untouched. When it was a flood... It was a flood, right? If you weren't on the ark, then it was bad news because there was no place you could go to get away from the flood. And here's what I want you to catch. No matter which one of these three times you're talking about, the floodgates of heaven are like more than you could possibly imagine. It's an abundant, it's more than you could think. It's definitely enough to get the job done, but it's so much more than that. That's what he's trying to get across to us. The floodgates of heaven, okay? That's what he's talking about. What's God saying? He's saying, when I find a heart that puts me first, that's when I can trust the abundance of heaven to that person. I'm looking all the time. And when I find a heart who puts me first, okay, I can trust you. Now listen, this happens in life. If you, if you have responsibility, and let's say that, that you begin doing something small for God, right? And he blesses that, and you're just faithful and obedient, and then he grows that. Because you've been faithful in a little, I will give you more. I, when I first started a new church, we had 40 people. That was a big crowd, right? I was there 20 years. We had 2,000 people join the church over that time. We started out with a little bitty group. We had one service. We had four services, and it just grew, and it grew, and it grew. Just being faithful and obedient with a little bit, God takes that and multiplies it, and he gives you more, right? That's the truth. And whatever, whatever way you're thinking about it, all right? And so, because if my heart is all about me and God just blessed me, just so it'd be for my benefit, he wouldn't do that to me, would he? When God sees a heart that puts him first, that's a heart that he blesses. The other thing is the word heaven. Now, I want you to catch this. Floodgates of heaven, right? He says, test me in this. This is the only place in Scripture where he says it's okay to test him. Test me in this and see that I don't open the flood, if I don't open the floodgates of he did not say the floodgates of Wall Street, did he? That's not in the scripture, is it? He did not say the floodgates of your local bank. He did not say the floodgates of your local state lottery or whatever other get-rich scheme that you're trying to do. He doesn't say that. He says the floodgates of heaven. Why does scripture say heaven? Heaven will experience the presence of Jesus there. It's indescribable joy, and it is abundant provision in heaven. How many of you want that? Yeah. Because God is saying, I'm waiting for you to give. I'm waiting for you to trust me. I'm waiting for you to take a step of faith because it will teach you to trust me in this area even more. It's for your benefit so your faith grows. That's why he wants us to do it. Trusting him releases the blessing in every other area of our life. Now, second, God multiplies what's given away. 
God multiplies what's given away. There were 12 baskets full left over. How did that happen? In Matthew it says, Jesus gave thanks and then broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Now, when did the, when did the miracle happen? I want you to catch this. It's when the disciples started handing it out. It's when they gave it away. They started, they looked in their little basket, they started giving it out, and it just never stopped. It just kept going and going. And they had more than enough. They had 12 basketfuls left over. But the disciples played a role in the miracle. Are you encouraged by that? You get, you get to play a role. You, there's times when God could do it so easy, but what does he do? He says, I'm going to let you help me. Your kids ever help you at home? You get a little kid helping you, it's going to take twice as long, right? Yeah, it ain't going to happen quick, right? But, but they want to help, don't they? And that's the way God is with us. I could do this by myself, but because I love you, son, because I love you, daughter, I'm going to let you help, okay? So I've just blocked out the whole afternoon just for you. You come help me. We'll see if we can get this done together, right? And that's the way God is. They, they passed it out. And if you want to find your life, it's countercultural to everything you read in the world today. If you want to find your life, he said, you've got to lose it, right? He said, if you want to be great, you've got to learn to be a servant. It's just countercultural to everything that we're taught. But that's what Jesus says that followers of his do. It should be no surprise that Solomon writes this in Proverbs. One person, now I want you to look at this. I didn't make this up. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will, what? Prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be. There it is. Right there. Are you reading it? I'm not making it up. It's biblical. And he's teaching us what he wants us to learn. We've got to put it to work. This is how heaven works. See, we're not just reservoirs collecting stuff. We're conduits. He gives us stuff so that we can give it away. In fact, he says, I'm going to give you more than you need so that you can use it to share with other people. And if you do it first, you'll be amazed how it stretches out for the rest of the month. Years ago, when Laura and I were going through infertility, we'd been married 12 years. We didn't have kids. We were spending money, $500, $700. Insurance wouldn't pay. We couldn't afford it. And Laura's a and sent us a check out of the blue for $10,000. Now, listen, here's what we learned. This came when we desperately needed it. And God taught us that we were not alone. It was like, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Did you think I wasn't paying attention to the details of your life? Did you think I couldn't do it? Did, do you not realize who I am? And boy, he got our attention. He knew the details, and he provided for us when we needed. So today, I want to just leave you with the words of Jesus in Matthew. In Matthew 6, it says, So do not worry, he says. Is that up there? Yeah. Saying, what shall I eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So he's saying, you make me a priority. I'll take care of you. Why does God want us to be generous? Because God knows that if we can learn to live life open-handedly, it's an antidote for stuff, for materialism. 
And it is certain death for selfishness. And he knows that when we learn to do that, we'll be like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful for what you teach us. Lord, you teach us those who have ears to hear. Let them hear. Today, Lord, I pray that we might hear, that we might read your word. It's right there before us. And, Lord, I pray that we might put it into practice. Lord, if we don't ever learn to trust you, if we don't ever learn to step out on faith, we will never grow spiritually. That's why you want us to do it, because you want us to grow. It's because you love us. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn to do, not just think about, not just hear about, that we would learn to do what you ask us to do, faithfully and obediently. Why would we not trust you? We trust you with our salvation. Surely we can trust you with everything else in life. Help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen.